You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to Reach Teach Talk, and I'm very excited today to talk about a concept that is on everybody's tips of their tongues when it comes to how to uh, look at the classroom experience as a place of connection built on empathy. And uh, as teachers, every day we have the opportunity to scan across our classroom and look through 25 different lenses on a piece of uh, writing that we're studying together or on a science lab that we're working on together or <clears throat> in, a, in the case of our guest today, um, in a piece of, of literature that is uh, from a different culture in a different language requiring not just transcription and conversion, but also a, an appreciation for the sound, the technique, the, um, the, the color, the texture of what that writer is, is, is communicating in this different language. And um, I am very happy that today we have this incredible teacher who's been teaching world languages uh, for 23 years in schools across the United States. Uh, Miss Ann Diedrich, welcome to the show. And uh, I'm so excited to, to learn from you about how the teaching of language and also the exposure to different cultures in real life exposure um, has created empathy, uh, is built empathy in your students, your high school level students, and comes from, as I said, 23 years of teaching. She has led over 20 trips in her experience, 20 student trips to countries and cultures all around the world. And, um, and Anne speaks flu fluently French, Spanish, um, and and English. We'll find out now in English because we are not running this <laughs> Spanish or French speaking podcast today. <laughs> so again, welcome and uh, just and I, I'm going to start this off with just a question for you about when you think back on a teacher that you had when you were growing up, um, who really exposed you to the value of learning a different language, the exposure to a different culture. Take a moment to think about who that teacher was and maybe how she or he really kind of got under your skin in a way that um, really, when you look back, might have transformed who you, who you have become or, or contributed to who you have become today. Well, there are so many uh, language teachers that I can think of, but my high school French teacher, David Eastburn, uh, he was uh, a master of empathy building. Uh, he... He left space for everyone in the group, in the class, to uh, express themselves, to be comfortable with doubt and uncertainty, uh, to give them a space to fumble around and make mistakes. Uh, he left a space for the class members who were very, very different in age and ability and background to uh, relate to each other and form a family. Uh, and it, there was a lot of humor incorporated into that. Uh, we, we played pranks on each other, uh, all in French, uh, and, and really got to know. It was a French literature class, actually. And so we were reading classical pieces of literature that were very challenging. And uh, it didn't seem difficult with the with the atmosphere in the class. So if you, if, let's back it up, and I want to get a little character view of, of who David Eastburn was. So 
you know, what did he look like? When you think about him in your memory, in your, in your, in your, in the photo memory of your mind about who he was, you can describe him in a few words. Like, he was, was a, he? a typical British professor with glasses, the, the jacket and the, you know, the tweed jacket and the tie and very, um, athletic and energetic, very conservative looking. So he didn't look like the, the man who would, uh, dramatically enact, um, reenact a, a, a tragical, tragic French piece of theater, you know, falling on the ground and, um, and just being completely silly so that we would all uh, loosen up and feel for him that he was taking a risk. So, so Mr. Eastburn was um, a, a kind of a larger-than-life figure, it sounds like, somebody who was a performer and somebody who um, used some improvisation as a way of of engaging you, mm-hmm. and and also though what I'm where it comes where empathy comes into play, you're if you're watching the only adult in the room be silly and take chances um, day after day, then it must have a an effect on on you as a student to take chances, be silly, um, and and in so doing, have fun right. with 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 language. In this case, have fun with um, the material that you're reading in French literature. Um, does that is is that? Yeah, and he was he completely empathized. He actually had a PhD, but was very down to earth, and he empathized with the uh, these tragic characters. He you could see that he was actually uh, very saddened by these scenes that he had taught for. Probably over 40 years he taught uh, French literature masterfully, but he made us all feel the emotions, these deep human emotions that all of these characters had. Uh, And so when I went into teaching, that was the model I had. Uh, So I didn't really have the technique, but I had the feeling in them. You just mentioned that. Sorry to interrupt, but you just mentioned that he had taught for forty years. This was not somebody who was just fresh out of university with his fresh master's or PhD, teaching you with such energy and such passion. That's fascinating, because in my head I was thinking about somebody who was much younger, because I was just stereotyping that oh, you got to be younger to have that much energy and passion. So that also is a lesson in empathy, I imagine, for you. The idea that. You can be somebody who's taught for decades, but still maintain this youthful passion for what you're teaching. Yeah, and 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 another one of my muses is the late Dr. Rossius, John Rossius, who was the head of the language department uh, or the French department at Dartmouth College. He uh, founded a uh, method in the '60s called the Rossius method, and it was all about making people speak to learn, not learn to speak, get out of their heads, improvise, uh, engage, you're, uh, be silly, uh, open, the, open the space for a non, uh, just a non-error zone. Um, and he said nothing really touches you unless it's real. You have to have an emotion. You have to have a connection to be able to learn, uh, to be able to feel the culture of someone else. You have to you have to participate it, engage in it, connect with others. You cannot do this by yourself. So the uh, he passed away uh, two years ago, I believe, maybe three years ago. 
but uh, he always talked about uh, the importance of uh, of bringing people together in a community and and the online all the technology that you were talking about in the in the introduction that is important that's a real great way to merge people but you can't really have that emotion unless you're human connected on a human level Rossius, r-a-s-s-i-a-s correct and there was an incredible profile on him in the atlantic magazine uh, about seven years ago that i recommend any of you anybody listening here to please look up google search what's his first name John, John Rossius, Dr. Yeah. John Rossius. Yeah. He also had a 60 Minutes episode about him with Ed Bradley and Morley Fantastic. Safer. Fantastic. Uh, he, he, he's done a, an incredible amount of work, but basically his methods are used with the State Department uh, and the Peace Corps and the Foreign Service. It's a, it's a rapid fire uh, drilling technique, which is based on improv and theater the absurd i want to get into the technique in just a minute but before i forget there was something you said earlier about his what he recognized back in the 60s long before neuroscience was able to actually you know prove evidence to to this the idea that learning involves an emotional component you have to be touched by something in order to open your mind you have to find relevancy you have to find empathy you have to 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 with what you're learning it it emotions and um and also the social side of learning. Dr. Rossius knew this 50 years ago, and brain studies today, research today, is only proving that, and then some, that what he was, what he intuitively understood about learning, about opening the brain, and the connection to emotions, and the connection to social reciprocity, um, is is essentially essential to good learning and to to, to long term right. attention. So I just wanted to touch on that because that's fascinating that he knew this, and the program and the approach that he derived out of that um, has been just so effective um, afterwards. So uh, John Rossius was an actor. He was a trained. He was trained in the theater, and he under to be a. a a good theater to be a, a, a successful actor, you have to have a, a deep uh, understanding of others' emotions. And so he thought, "Wow, we're missing something. When we're in the classroom, we have all these kids who are sort of sitting here prisoner. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, yeah. they have to. They're they're required to sit here with us, and so we have them captive. But what if we make them forget?" that they are in this in this contained environment what if we forget about that and we just make it a, a place of play what if we make this a place where people can imagine and um and we can create and develop games that just take people out of this sense of requirement the sense of duty and and into the sense of possibility so he built that um as he has it's 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 edutainment and it's best. I mean, <laughs> uh, if I've I've been doing the Rossius method since the early two thousand, the early knots, and it's the kids just laugh. They are a little shocked. They are on their toes, and then in the end, they help each other because part of the technique is uh, peers correct each other, and there's there's a very safe. Uh, a uh, very congratulatory, safe um, 
environment for students to make errors and then to correct each other and to help each other. Because in improv, and I've, I've been doing improv at Second City since uh, 2011, I want to say, um, I actually got to feel that myself because you, you, everyone is on a different um, path in their learning of a language, in their learning of improvisation. Uh, you, everyone is on a, a path, but we can help each other. And as a group, we can definitely relate to each other and connect to each other, empathize with each other, and be better for it. That's beautifully said. I mean, you, you meet the students where they are, mm -hmm. and, you're, and you trick them into learning. Uh, it's this idea of, but what about the AP scores, Anne? What about the, the, how do these students who are learning without knowing that they're learning and they're, they're role-playing and they're having conversations in French cafes in the middle of their classroom, how, how do we, it, it, you know, for the skeptics out there, I, I would say that uh, having taught the AP class doing these ridiculous uh, improvisational techniques uh, in the language classes, we, we, the scores have been um, fours or fives. I, I think they were higher than they were pre-Rossius uh, <laughs> because the students are engaged all the time and they're active. Because if you, if you had a, a, a stopwatch and you count or you clicked how many times people uh, spoke in a given hour, they speak from 100 to 125 times because they're doing choral repetition, they're, um, they're speaking without really thinking, they're, they're getting out all of those uh, phrases that are somehow the, the different syntactical structures that are not so easy, but it's becoming automated. So when you have an AP exam that's timed, they're used to, they're raring and ready to go. They're, at the, they, they're like horses in the gate at the <laughs> Kentucky Derby. They're ready to just take off. Uh, so in fact, most people freeze at these AP exams, especially when you have a microphone in your face and you know the headset's on. And here they're just like, bring it on. Yeah. Beautifully said. I mean, this is, it, it's, and I imagine then that those 120 spoken contributions per hour per student, um, you also have students who are just tripping over themselves and, and probably more than half the time they're making mistakes, syntax, syntax mistakes, grammar mistakes, but at least they're talking. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I got to be honest, my personal, my, my, my uh, experience with learning a, a foreign language was not a positive one for me. I, I, I always... I had a pro I, I struggled memorizing. I struggled with um, the verb tenses and which pronoun, you know, agreement, uh, whatever to use. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, I just many I just have, people struggle. You know, I, and for me, it was it was just an exercise in hiding. I gotta be honest, yeah. and it was it was. Yet there was such a part of myself that wanted to explore the world and had so much of a vision of what who I want to be as an adult. As I'm sitting there, a 15 year old classroom, um, as a 15 year old. But feeling like the gap the, the, between who I wanted to be in, as an adult in the world versus how I felt in that French 2 classroom just was so wide. And if I had had that, a teacher like Mr. Eastburn, who I did not have, um, I think that that would have been different. Where it's I would have felt more safe saying the wrong thing. Because you know what I remember? I remember, you know, it would just be, okay, so Nat, um, answer this question, you know, da 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 And... All eyes would be on me to answer the question, and if and 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 I would inevitably make a mistake, and I would just feel like French two was an exercise in in self 
censoring and and okay. not having and you know and feeling very stressed. So anyhow, all that to say, like I think that to put me in a in a robust classroom like how you're describing where it's okay to trip over yourself. Keep talking. You're still in that French cafe in the middle of the classroom. You're still ordering, you know, uh, duck confit and from the waiter. And uh, and you may be ordering something completely different. The waiter might not understand you, but it's okay because you're going to be speaking constantly. And you speak to learn. You don't learn to speak. Get out of your head. <sighs> so, uh, and actually, just a follow-up, David Eastburn came up to Dartmouth while I was teaching uh, in their accelerated language programs. And he sat in my Spanish class because I was, I'm a Spanish teacher as well. And so Ra Dr. Rossius also came in every day in my Spanish class. So they met each other and they both participated so enthusiastically and, and talked about, asked a lot of questions. When did you feel that the, that the rhythm and the, and the tone of the class was at its best and to observing those moments of connection. And so, so even so, till the, until his, he was in his late 80s, uh, John, and he would have breakfast with me afterwards and say, you know what I noticed at this one point, everyone was just uh, joyful or, or, or just fully engaged. And in order to recognize that point of full engagement and joy, Dr. Rassius, as an observer, had to have not just his mind open, but also his, his heart, his gut, that, that, you know, that, that intuition, that intuitive sense of this class is robust right now. This class is thick with, um, with learning. But beneath that, um, he was a very empathetic man. Uh, so you would see him. Uh, this man was a big shot in, in the academic world. He had led the uh, this new language methodology. He had. Um, he was very well known for what he did. He was a chair of the, the French and Italian department at Dartmouth. Had won many awards, and yet I saw him. I was walking down in the basement um, at Dartmouth Hall, and I saw him talking to a custodial worker who was going through a really tough time, and he was completely present. Um, and and concerned about this man, and he just stopped and gave his time to everyone who came his way, and he celebrated the presence of everyone. And that he was he was that's why he's my guru because he, he reminds me that I, I every time I think about him I think of the joy and the celebration of every human being that crossed his path, and and that came through in his teaching. Wow, and also in in his his persona. You were describing him at the beginning of this uh, episode. You were describing him as a very joyous, very happy, very positive, gregarious uh, per spirit, right? And I love what you just shared about him with the custodian, uh, you know, in the hallway and the taking the time to connect with him because the, the classroom experience, the improv, the drills, not, I wouldn't call them drills. What do you call them? They do drills. Do um, drills? The master teacher kind of well, in a, in, a, in a high school classroom, I do it all. But that you ha you teach the lesson in a, an engaging way, and then you run these rapid fire uh, drills right. where the students have to stay on their toes and are are drilled at random. Right. Uh, yeah. So so staying on your toes, uh, rapid fire, um, drilled at random, it's and inter interjecting cultural significance. So. Uh, expressions that some that would not be in a textbook 
So the teacher actually has to build these drills. It, Absolutely. It's, it's, so it, it requires creativity and a lot of work on the part of the teacher. But you want to give them um, colloquial expressions that are used today. You don't want to give them 1980s vocab that is in the book right. that's been edited and re-edited, but it has still the language of the 1980s. These are kids right here right. and now in 2019 right <laughs> so, right right um and and issues so like if if you've got a cultural issue that you want to talk about like climate change you can actually add expressions that would get the kids thinking about responses yes the the fast-paced nature of the classroom juxtaposed with his moment in the hallway with a with a custodian i keep coming back to because i just love the the juxtaposition between, you know, fast paced, da 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 da, and actually, I know you, I see you, and um, and I'm going to take the time to share space with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that all seems to factor into this um, full body approach to teaching, because it's in order to truly bond and build a trust bridge with your students. Right? They need to know that you're not so rushed and so frenetic that you can't see them for where they are right now. Right. It's a fast pace, but it's not rushed. Yeah. And when you are, it's 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 teacher going up to individual students for their drill. The teacher is looking at them in, and, and connecting with the student, the given student drilling or the per, the, pers- the the person next door correcting, right? Editing the student, helping the student, uh, partnering with the student. And then they're giving a high five. There's a lot of there's a lot of love. Congratulations for making that effort. So, it's it's fast, but it's not rushed. I see the it's same excited. thing. It's excited. Yeah, it's excited. I love that. It's, it's there's always positive. urgency to learn. And right. Urgency to get this because we've got we've got so much to do. We have so many connections to make. It's so exciting. Connections to make, and, and again, you're tricking them into learning. And it's this, um, and time probably has a whole different definition when the class is running on that much of a, there's so much froth, um, you know, uh, uh, sparks and, 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 and fizz uh, in, the, in the class. You know what I'm saying? Like just that mm-hmm. description. And I think this is applicable also to, you know, I, I think about math class where you can, as a math teacher, generate an incredibly positive high five based, um, <laughs> you know, Yay for trying, you know, where you have a student up at the board and, and they're working out a problem and they might be making a mistake. They might be making a mistake, but the students who are watching and observing are helping that student to unpack the mistake that he's making at the board. Have you tried this approach? Whatever. And it's all, we're all in this together, mm-hmm. right? And we're all supporting each other. And that that is all about empathy because if you're if you're able to, as a teacher, right, from day one, establish that, you know, we're coming into this class. This is going to be an adventure for us. The next 180 school days are going to be all, we're going to be on this path together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're going to trip on some roots and we're going to not want to go up that hill and scale that boulder, but we will, with each other's support, succeed at doing this. It's almost like you're at the mountaintop as a teacher and you want to kind of say there is a destination that we will we will all get to, um, whether it be mastering right. this, con- you know, the, the mastering second year French, fourth year Spanish, whatnot. Um, but there, but wouldn't you say that there's an empathy that is embedded in that approach, that positive classroom building approach? Right. Well, um, it, it, there is a, it, it, there's definitely an empathy built into that, and we've actually extended that at, at, at previous schools where I've gone. And at my current school, 
we are we have students actually learning this method. So if you're a heritage speaker of a language like Mandarin Chinese or or French or uh, Spanish, we ca they can learn how to drill. Maybe these kids are not as successful at writing the language, but they can be useful tools and celebrated for the knowledge that they have. So we've, and with English, all everyone at our schools in the United States, these you know, very uh, competitive high schools, they, they speak incredible English and they, they have a tool. Yes. And if they learn how to, to, to drill in a structured way, they can help other communities and extend their lives into communities that, where they would be really uncomfortable normally. We talk about um, these tour, student tourism versus ego tourism, um, which uh, it just makes me bristle when I think about groups that have the opportunity to go for a week to Belize or a week to Beijing and Shanghai or a week to Madrid or London, and yet they don't come back with anything um, sustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, it's clear like they just did this. It, it's ego tourism. It's, it's I'm, you know, I saw a show in the West End and then I went to Canterbury and then I saw St. Paul's Cathedral and I went to, um, you know, took a ferry ride in the Thames, on the Thames. But okay, but what, how did you connect with the culture? And it sounds like for you, and let me, I'm just going to repeat, but bullet point what it seems like are essential, um, essential ingredients for a successful enriching cross-cultural experience. Number one, have a, have a focus, have a program that you're going to work on. Um, if you're going to Belize, have a reason for being there. Number two, learn the language, expose yourself to the language. Um, so that when you get there, you're able to at least, you know, show that you're attempting to respect the culture by, by speaking the language. Number three, um, homestays, uh, live, live with a family, um, experience the waking up at the sunrise and the traditions and the breakfast and do they have lunch or is it a big lunch and a small dinner or is it a huge dinner or a small lunch you know all of that um, are there other those are the three that I was deriving from what you said before right. but and what so else when we do these they're, they're not considered trips because it's not just a, a one hit wonder it's really you're, you're preparing with curriculum before leaving and the kids need to generate questions as well the participants of the travel program need to to really think about what they want to learn good, then they good. have the experience they need to reflect on the experience at night and think about how they want to deepen their experience for the following day right and, and they're going to make mistakes along the way and be embarrassing right mm -hmm. that's what we all do when we travel to another place <laughs> And then um, when they come back, how are they going to bring this experience home and impact their community uh, to the, the greatest extent? That's been very challenging as an educator to sort of how do we how do we get our kids to uh, to not drop that recent experience that was so impactful and just focus on the next test tomorrow, right? right? Or ha raising your grade point average. How do you keep that with them mm -hmm. and have them focus on impacting their community, mm -hmm. right? Continuing, keeping that community that they just met in their heart. That, that's such an amazing example to leave us with when we think about the importance of language learning and its connection to building empathy, because if language is taught the way you've you spent the past 40 minutes talking uh, in, in this very ideal way, idealistic, no, but but a very 
genuine way of teaching language, which involves risk-taking, it involves making mistakes, it involves tripping over your words, it involves misplaced syntax, but it all in the guise of fun, joyousness, uh, you know, through improvisation, through being silly, getting back to David Eastburn, your teacher, where you opened this conversation with, somebody who was, who was silly and who would take chances and who would laugh at himself and be that example. I think about um, the play History Boys, Alan mm. Bennett, and how much like how you described David Eastburn's class um, of being this raucous, creative, you know, bouncing off the walls, but not chaotic um, classroom and in, in your classroom much being much the same. Uh, you know, Alan Bennett's play History Boys is all about that. They had a mm. piano in their classroom and, and, and these boys would play the piano and just riff and they would dress up in costumes and, you know, read poems, you know, in the character to whom the poet was, was writing the poem for, the sonnet, Shakespeare sonnet or whatever. And that we need this, don't you? Wouldn't you agree we need this in our classrooms because we need to celebrate the human experience of what learning is? Because it's, as Rossius knew intuitively 50 years ago, learning is cognitive, emotional, and social. Right. Last word about that. Connecting hearts. Uh, so that's at the heart. I mean, uh, he, he had, he had, John Rossius had two fo images, sort of cartoon images of two people the student and the teacher and he misspelled that it was very but at the the center we're all covered with so many crusts we have our family issues we have our friend issues we have our 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 cultural issues and what we really knew our our major goal is to to burn through like uh, dynamite put dynamite on those crusts um, and um, and get two hearts connected. That's that's the first thing he says at and well he used to say at every one of his workshops. So if you cannot connect to the heart, there's no there's no method. There's no it doesn't matter unless you can connect the hearts and also affirm that other individual, which is the base of improv yes and i'm going to add i'm going to compliment and add on to what you're saying i hear you i i'm going to restate what you said because it matters wow and Diederik, i mean touching thousands of hearts in your teaching career <laughs> all around the world and doing good things doing amazing things and giving me i mean just these past 40 minutes have given me so much hope about the what we the tools we have at our disposal as teachers today with through technology, through being able to read in different languages, genuine accounts of what it is to live in this culture, this society, for those very lucky uh, students who are actually able to join into and, and integrate themselves into a, uh, a different society than their own, and bring it, bring that experience back with them, in, in, with with reflection and with um, real uh, uh, this focus on keeping that experience the spirit of the experience alive. All of this is just phenomenal and it comes back to the importance and how we are addressing the importance of building empathy in a world that is increasingly cold, increasingly um, uh, bifurcated, balkanized. Um, it just gives me so much hope, the conversations like this one, that the future is actually has the potential to um, as you said earlier, or as Rossi has said, break down those walls that stratify us through labels and through uh, politics and 
instead join our hearts together. So thank you for joining your heart with mine today and anybody listening and watching. And I'm just so grateful for your being on, on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Too. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.